and swore they would come back. Now they haunt a nightclub in Wilder by the railroad track. It's been more than a century since they took her life away. But the legend of Pearl Bryan is still talked about today. Greetings and welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. The podcast all about the bizarre, spooky, weird, haunted, and supernatural stuff. The tunes are courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I'm of course your host, Tessa Morrow. Now, last week, you guys, we learned a lot about some of the burial rituals performed from all over the globe. I don't know about you, but I'm anxious to hop in to part two of the burial rituals. Yes! Let's do this. First up is Fama Dihana, the turning of bones. Now, every two to seven years, depending on the family... The Malagasy people of Madagascar commemorate their deceased loved ones in a ritual. A larger-than-life celebration takes place at the crypt where the family exhumes the body. They spray the remains with either a perfume, a cologne, or in some cases, even wine. They then dress the corpse in the finest of silks. And then they paint the town red. This is a way to keep the deceased alive, if you will. They're experiencing the joys of life. The turning of bones is very, very important for the Malagasy people. This maintains the links with their ancestors. Here, the belief is that the spirits of the deceased are earthbound and will not be reunited with their dear ancestors until the body has fully decomposed. Till then... However, the spirit remains to be able to communicate with the living and with their loved ones. Ancient Origins describes this ritual beautifully. Quote, The Rituals of Fama Dihana Family members come from far and wide to attend the Fama Dihana, sometimes traveling entire days on foot to attend the two-day festivities. When everyone is gathered, the corpses are delicately pulled from the tomb or crypt and wrapped in straw floor mats. Groups of people heave the corpses above their heads and carry them off before laying them side by side on the ground to be cleaned and dressed. Their dried burial garments are delicately pulled from their corpses and the bodies are dressed in fresh silk garments. Women who are having trouble conceiving will take fragments of an ancestor's old shroud and place them under their mattresses or, in some cases, even eat them to induce pregnancy. Following the dressing of the deceased, a great party is held with music, dancing, and a huge feast among the villagers. As a band plays at the lively event, family members dance with the bodies, For some, it's a chance to pass family news to the deceased and ask for their blessings. For others, it's a time to remember and tell stories of the dead. When the festival ends, 
The bodies must be returned to the tomb as the sun slowly retires beyond the horizon. They are reburied alongside gifts of money and alcohol, and they're placed upside down to close the cycle of life and death. After a final ritual cleaning, the tomb is immediately closed. A powerful and emotional moment embodying all the spiritual richness of the previous day's celebrations, unquote. Today, Famadihana is not seen as often as it was back then, for it is actually on the decline, for it's super expensive. Not only do they use brand new unused pricey fabrics like silk for the deceased, but they must buy large amounts of food for several types of meals and prepare it for the mourners and guests. And I'm not talking about like, you know, if Thanksgiving's coming and you're making dinner for like 10 people or whatever. Sometimes that number is in the several hundred. And what happens when the less fortunate don't have the money for a family crypt? For several years, they will save money and finally have a celebration of life, a festival for their late loved ones, their ancestors. These festivals are a way of life and death. And it is taken very, very seriously, as it should be. In many cases, many times, more money is spent on the deceased than living. Next up is the Fiji Strangulation Funeral. And believe you me, it is as brutal as it sounds. I'm going to repeat that. Fiji Strangulation Funeral. Basically, when someone died, it was tradition to kill a family member or a friend so that the deceased would not face death and the afterlife alone. Huh, pretty gruesome. I mean, if I lived there in those times, in my will, I might add, um, yeah, like, please don't murder someone when I die. I'm okay. Thanks. Also, they have widow strangulation. Also in Fiji, ancient custom was that if a man died, it was expected for his wife, now widow, to die as well via ritualistic strangulation so they can join the afterlife together. And believe it or not, this was accepted by all, including the woman soon to be strangled. The day that the husband died, a male family member of the woman would get a cord and tie it around the widow's neck. After the cord is placed, the soon-to-be-deceased woman would push as much air out of her lungs as she possibly could. She then signals the relative to finish the job by raising her hand up. And you think that's bad? Whew. When a great chief would die, several of the village women, and possibly even the chief's favorite henchmen, would be sacrificed too. Why? <laughs> Again, I ask why? They believe in a god named Nanga Nanga, who supposedly hates unmarried men and will destroy their souls if not accompanied by their mate. <coughs> yeah, I would scream too. Now, don't worry. This next one is a walk in the park. Stop and sniff the flowers kind of thing compared to the last ritual. Hanging coffins. 
This is done in several places, including China, practiced by the Gaie people, the Buyang people, and the Bo people. The latter, who view the mountains and their mighty cliffs as a stairway to heaven. Believing that their loved ones are buried on the mountain, they believe they are that much closer to heaven. This, of course, also prevents wildlife from disrupting the dead. Meanwhile, in Sulawesi, Indonesia, Londa Nangala Cave is used for cliff burials by the Sedan Toraha people. The funeral rite is a very expensive ritual and most elaborate. It's a time of celebration. Yes, celebrating. Their celebration lasts for several days. A ceremony site is packed, what they call a ronte. Once the ronte is picked, the family creates a mini village, if you will, which consists of rice barn and other funeral type structures. There, people will gather and chant and perform music. They'll read poems. This ceremony goes on for days, weeks, and months, and sometimes, <laughs> believe it or not, years. This is to raise enough money to cover the high funeral expenses. The deceased is wrapped in several layers of cloth until the soul reaches the afterlife, what they call puye. They believe the spirit roams the village. They have many bizarre rituals, including slaughtering water buffalo, cutting off their heads and lining them up in the field, awaiting their master, who is in a deep slumber. But let's talk a little bit about the burials, as that's what obviously I'm aiming for. Sometimes the body is in a casket and hangs off a cliff, while others are in a cave or carved and buried into the mountainside itself. And in the Philippines, the Igorot people have a ritual that when someone they love passes on, they butcher chickens and pigs. The deceased is then placed on a wooden death chair in which it is then tied with vines and covered with a blanket. The chair is then positioned to face the door so when the relatives come in, they can visit and pay the respects to the dead. This visitation period goes on for several days. And you may think decomp, the smell, or at least I did, but the body is first smoked, so this is usually not a problem. When this period of the ritual is over, the body is released from the death chair and is prepped for burial. I found a perfect description of this ritual on Rough Guides where a local elder gives an inside look. So the body is actually secured into a fetal position, legs being pulled up towards the chin. The body is then wrapped into a blanket and tied with rattan leaves. A small group of men chip holes into the side of the cliff. The purpose is to hammer in the support of the coffin. And I'm going to quote now what the elder said, quote, the corpse is wrapped like a basketball on the way there. Mourners do their best to grab it and carry it because they believe it is good luck to be smeared with the dead's blood, unquote. It is strongly believed here that 
the fluids that leave the corpse bring success to those who come into contact with it during the procession and passes on the skills that the deceased once held on to. They then go to the burial site. Then a group of young men will climb up the cliff with the body and place it in a hollowed out lumber coffin. The bones are cracked so the corpse can fit into the tiny space. It is then sealed with fines. The tradition is rarely used these days. It's dying out. Many now prefer to bury their loved ones via burial grounds so they can visit them. Plus, I don't know, breaking grandpa's bones to get him in a cliff and not visit again? Kind of a hard thing to do. A gigantic pill to swallow. Next is burial at sea and the scattering of ashes and other bodies of water. Whether it's a full body or ashes, many choose this type of burial. Military, the famous, ordinary folks like you and me and everyone in between. One day shy of his 45th birthday, Marvin Gaye was murdered by his father and his ashes were scattered into the Pacific. Steve McQueen, Dick Clark, Janis Joplin, and Adam West, all of their ashes were scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Robin Williams' ashes were scattered in the San Francisco Bay, and some of Jerry Garcia's were spread there too. The rest of the Garcia's ashes were spread into the River Ganges. Sweet little Charles Lindbergh Jr., the kidnapped victim who didn't get to live to see the age too. His ashes were scattered in the Atlantic Ocean. And in 1999, the ashes of JFK Jr. were spread in the Atlantic as well. And in June of 2001, after the Nepalese royal massacre, several members of the royal family, their ashes were scattered in the Bagmati River in Kathmandu, Nepal. Kurt Cobain's ashes were spread in the McLean Creek in Olympia, spread by his daughter as a Buddhist monk chanted. Lana Turner, her ashes were scattered in Oahu, Hawaii, and Bill Bixby scattered in Hana, Hawaii. One of my favorite actors, Phil Hartman, his ashes were scattered in Santa Catalina Island's Emerald Bay. Many ashes are scattered throughout the waters. Several others go this route, as I named just a tiny little handful. There's so many others out there. Others do a full body sea burial. John Carradine, his body was buried at sea between the California coast and Catalina Island. And in 1779, after his murder, Captain James Cook's remains were buried at sea in Kelakakua Bay in Hawaii. And yes, I am the person who butchers names, so sorry about that. Dennis Wilson, the only real surfer of the beloved Beach Boys, was buried at sea off the California coast. While burial at sea is an honor, usually reserved for Navy and Coast Guard veterans, Dennis, who never served in the military, was buried at sea anyway. His widow knew this is exactly what he would love. He would have wanted this, and they had connections to make it happen. Ronald Reagan himself, after the Beach Boys were banned from performing their awesome tunes in a Washington mall on what should have been a Festivus 4th of July, Reagan told the men that if they ever needed anything at all, to let him know. And they did, and he sure did pull through for the late Beach Boy. 
Burials at sea, not including the scattering of ashes, must take place beyond the territorial limit three miles off the coast and usually more than 600 feet of water. We all mourn and celebrate in different ways. And I'm not talking by nationality, country. I'm talking by each person themselves and the family. For instance, when someone in my family passes, whether it be a family member or a family friend, we have the memorial, the funeral, but afterwards we celebrate that person's life usually getting together for a large meal and tell stories of the past. Some are sad, yeah, of course, but for the most part, what is shared are inside jokes, funny mannerisms and traits the person had. Stories so hilarious that you find tears in your eyes and he tells you having to hold at your side because you're laughing so hard. That's what we do, the celebration of life. For the people that are gone now, they live on through memories and through us. And to me, that's important. Then you do things that they did, you know, like my grandpa Gerald, for instance. He always enjoyed a good bowl of ice cream or what he called mime. A good bowl of mime. I'll indulge in the frozen deliciousness myself and think of him while doing so. My grandma Mary loved crocheting. And while I only knew how to knit, I do so remembering her laugh and her passion for crafts and, oh, football. She was a huge Broncos fan. I mean, it just, the things that they loved, you know. My grandpa Charlie, he enjoyed lasagna. Whenever I eat it, I think of him. And he also loved birds, something I super enjoy as well. While my family, and I'm sure others remember their loved ones and celebrate them via food and memories and laughter, Others prefer other methods. In Taiwan, one ritual they do are invite strippers to come and entertain the mourners. They are called funeral strippers. <laughs> they perform via singing and do sexy dances, a unique way to celebrate the life of the dead. This isn't only for the mourners. These naked dancers are thought to appease the wandering spirits and also to give the deceased respectfully one last hoorah. Funeral strippers were also found in China, but the government shut down this sexy practice and uh, deemed it pretty offensive. Next one up, let's talk about finger amputations. Sounds pretty painful, just like, uh, I don't know, the strangulations. This takes us to Papua New Guinea. This gruesome ritual is specifically seen in the Dani tribe. It is believed by some that it's essential to cut off your finger for the grieving process. Much like the strangulations talked about earlier, it's like, to hold the brakes. What? Some tribe members will actually do it prior to attending the funeral. This is mostly seen in the females. A woman will amputate the top of one of her fingers if a member of her family passes on. The purpose for this frightening act upon oneself? Well, it is thought to ward off any spirits that are lingering around. The soon-to-be-cut-off finger is first wrapped tightly with a string where it stays for almost 30 minutes. 
This allows the finger to get numb, making amputation less painful for the person. The finger is then cut off by an axe. The finger is then saved in a special place or burned to ashes. Thankfully, this is now banned. I believe they don't do this now. But within the elders, you can still see the telltale marks of the brutal ritual, as some women have no tops of their fingers left. And believe it or not, even baby girls would go through this ritual sometimes. Yes, yeah, sweet little baby, I would cry too. Their fingertips would be bitten off by, of all people, their own mothers. Sorry, I think that deserved another cry. Next, the Apayo Kitchen Burial. Luzon is the largest island in the Philippines. Northern Luzon is home to the Isneg people. When a family member dies, they are wrapped up in a mat. Then the male family members will lift the body and carry it to the final resting place under the kitchen floor. Items are placed with the deceased to help the dead with their journey. One may leave a jar to quench the thirst of the dead, while some decide to leave a spear or other type of weaponry to protect the deceased from enemies. They are then placed under the kitchen floor where them and other loved ones will remain. This, however, is not the only ritual in Luzon. There are several, depending on the people and the tribe. Another one I found interesting has to do when a wife prepares her husband's body. She does everything, even clothing her late husband. It is deeply believed that during this time, the spirit is able to communicate with his wife, his widow. The body is placed in the coffin in the home, and it must be in the center of the house. The coffin must align with the floorboards and the planks. A log is placed in the front of the home of the deceased and lit, and the smoke is thought to assist the spirit to heaven, and also it wards off any evil spirits while doing so. The log will burn for the entire wake, beginning to end. Before the coffin is removed from the home, every window is closed, and if the coffin touches or hits any part of the house during the removal, this is super important, it is thought that someone else is going to die. And like very, very soon, like of course, duh, we're all gonna die, but very soon. After the funeral, all family members wash their hair with a special shampoo. They call it gugu. This is thought to remove any and all influences of the spirit. Then, of course, we have sati, practiced among the Hindus. This is where the widow will sacrifice herself by either throwing herself or sitting on her husband's funeral pyre. This is gruesome, and it's been around for centuries in several locations. A great example dates back to the 15th and 16th centuries in Cambodia. When a king died, the lords and the wives of the king would voluntarily burn themselves. Though it's not very common now these days, it still happens. It's rare, but still, a few recent cases of sati are seen in 2002 
in the Indian Pana district when an elderly woman sat on her husband's funeral pyre. In 2006, a woman in her mid-30s committed sati when she jumped into her husband's blazing pyre. And in 2008, a 75-year-old woman jumped in her husband's funeral pyre. The last, but certainly not least, ritual that I'm going to talk about is Kiribati's skull burial. Taking place, of course, on the tiny island nation of Kiribati, the body is laid out in their home where they will remain there for several days, anywhere from three to even 12 days. So their loved ones get a chance for a last visit and, of course, to pay their respects. DK, everybody goes through it. The Kiribati's would burn leaves and even put flowers in the nose, the mouth, and ears to make the body smell fresh, smell nice. The body is then buried in a cemetery or a special area close to the house. I mean, seems normal, right? Well, several months after the burial, the body is exhumed and the skull is removed from the grave. The mourners then polish the skull and present it with money, food, and other offerings. The skull is then placed on a shelf in the home, or sometimes the widow will carry the skull around with her, bringing it wherever she goes. And they will bring it to the dinner table with them while they eat and into the beds while they sleep. And if the teeth fall out, they will actually be turned into necklaces in some cases, the bones from the body would be used for tools while fishing. It is believed here that the presence of the skull facilitates the native god Naka to welcome the spirit of the dead into the afterlife. After several years, they sometimes will actually rebury the skull, either with the body or in their yard. And so there you have it. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the last two weeks discussions about burial rituals used and performed all over the world. I mean, you know, some were obviously terrifying, like the sati, the woman sacrificing herself, throwing herself on the, you know, her husband's funeral pyre or the finger amputations in Papua New Guinea and the strangulations in Fiji, of course, while others were more like on the bizarre side with the Kiribati skull removal and the smoked mummies and what have you either way it's all very very interesting and i mean there are so many others that would last several more episodes and hey you know what if you're interested in hearing about others please throw me an email at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com and i'll come up with a special part three or perhaps there's even one that you didn't hear me mention and want to request a special burial ritual. I am all ears. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Haven't heard each and every one yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen now. Just go through any podcast platform, such as TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Basically, wherever you roam to listen to your other kick-ass podcasts, you'll find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. This week's special city shout-outs go to... 
Withamsville, Ohio, Riverside, California, Grand Island, Nebraska, Oro Valley, Arizona, and Washington, North Carolina. See you next week.